You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started now in the message. Now, we're going to get in the Word. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel 30. Remember that in a lapse of faith, David flees from Saul to live amongst the Philistines, making the town of Ziklag his headquarters. He accompanies Achish, the king of Gath, to join the large Philistine coalition to fight against King Saul and the Israeli army. When the other Philistine kings see David and his men, they send them away in fear that they'll turn on them in the battle. And so that's where we left off with David. As David was there amongst the Philistines and they looked at him and his men and said, what are these Hebrews doing here? What are they doing? Fraternizing with the enemy. And David should have been asking that himself. And we talked about that last week how the Lord has set us apart, how bad company corrupts good morals. We are to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. And we're not to go along with the the flow of the world, but like a salmon, we're to swim upstream, amen? And it feels like it takes a lot of energy sometimes, but when we're energized by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't take a lot of energy. It's the energy of the Lord that gives us the power to do that. And so David had been fraternizing with the enemy now for a year and a half and he's starting to feel the consequences of it. And there are consequences, even as Christians, if we begin to go along in the flow of the world, the course of this world. And so we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting at verse 1. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. So they're coming back from being rejected by the Philistine army and they come back to their home, their town where they live and where their family and all their stuff is. They came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziklag and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Oh my goodness, this is devastating for David and for his men. As they come home, their town is burned, their families are gone, their little ones are gone. This is horrible. Now, notice here that it is the Amalekites who come and destroy their town and take their families. Who were the Amalekites? Well, we've talked about this before, but we're going to talk about it again. The descendants of Amalek, that's who the Amalekites were. And back in Genesis, you remember Esau. He was the, the father of the Edomites, and he was Jacob's brother. And Jacob was the one who was accepted by God and given the birthright and the promises that he had given to Abraham. Hey, your name's going to be great. You're going to be a great nation. All the descendants of the earth will be blessed through your seed. The Messiah is going to come through your lineage. 
That was given to Jacob. But Esau was rejected because he was a man of the flesh. The Bible says that he took a wife from the Canaanites. And her name was Ada, and she was a Hittite. Well, Ada and Esau had a son named Eliphaz. Eliphaz had a concubine named Timnah. A concubine is a mistress, not the primary spouse, but the plaything, if you will, who bore Amalek. So concubine is also translated paramour, a lover, especially the illicit partner of a married person. And so Eliphaz is continuing in his father's footsteps and walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit and having love for his spouse. Amalek and the Amalekites, uh, so Amalek was born of this relationship, and Amalek and the Amalekites are emblematic of the flesh and the war between the flesh and the spirit. We read about that in Galatians chapter 5. You might remember that in Exodus chapter 17, the Amalekites fought against Israel on their way to the promised land. This was their first battle that they were in as they were heading into the promised land. The Amalekites attacked them. And Moses went up on a hill with Aaron and Hur. And remember when he would put his hands up, then the Israelites would win. He put his hands down, they would lose. And so Aaron and Hur held up the arms of Moses when they got tired so that the battle was then won. And that's how the battle's won against the flesh. It's in worship. It's in praise. It's from God. And we get weary. We have each other accountability. And remember that Moses had to sit down on a rock because he was so tired. Jesus is the rock. Amen? Hallelujah. And so we've got the flesh at war with the spirit. Exodus 17, 14 says, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Anybody here still war with the flesh? All three of you? Wow, the rest of you are doing really good. <laughs> That's right, we all war with the flesh, right? Our, our bodily cravings, our pride, things like that. And so the war is from generation to generation. Remember that Saul was told by Samuel to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Utterly destroy them. But Saul spares Agag and apparently his household. Agag was the king of the Amalekites at that time. And in the future, we see this guy named Haman the Agagite, a descendant of Agag, attempting to terminate the Jews in Babylon. But they're saved when Esther comes illegally into the presence of the king to intercede for the people. And the king heard her and relented, and Haman got to hang on the gallows that he had made. Praise the Lord. And so here we see the Amalekites, emblematic of the flesh. The war between the flesh and the spirit goes on and on even today. And even when you think you've wiped it out, I've conquered the flesh, I've won! The flesh keeps rearing its ugly head, doesn't it? 
keeps wanting to come back up because we're made of flesh and we have chemicals and, and we also have sin nature, our pride that wants us to be elevated, wants us to be better, wants to dominate over others, wants to live forever on our terms instead of on God's terms. And now David is learning the destructive consequences of living the life after the flesh as the Amalekites come and burn his headquarters and take all that he has. So what was fleshy about David, David's move here? Remember that he believed a lie. He believed a lie in his own head. He was told by God, you're going to be okay, David. Saul's not going to get to you. You're going to live through this and become king one day. But then he told himself, after such a long time of fleeing from Saul, he told himself, one day Saul's going to kill me. So I'm going to go flee to the, the enemy's territory. It always begins with a lie, our slip backwards, our move towards enemy territory. It begins with a lie that we believe. This is going to make me happier. This is going to bring me satisfaction. If I don't do this, then my whole world's going to fall apart. I might even get killed. My family's going to be on the streets, so I'm going to take that second, third, fourth job, whatever. And, and so in fear, we, we can take things too far and neglect other things. And so we've got to be careful, friends, to not believe the lie, but believe God, believe his word, and trust him. Trust him. And so David then did not do this, and now he's suffering some consequences for this. And it says in verse 3, we're in verse 3 now, it says, So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. So number one, it's burned with fire. Their home is burned with fire. When we fraternize with the enemy, I'm talking about drunkenness, drug abuse, sexual addiction, fleshy living. And it could even be more subtle things. Just living for self rather than living for God and then others. It brings our home down. It becomes a financial drain on the home. It brings a negative tone to the home. Because as we live for self, we find that self is never satisfied. We become discontent and we take that out on our spouses, on our children, our grandchildren, or whoever. The people who are close to us. People who might be obstacles to our selfish living. Oh no, I have to drive you where? And how long is that going to take? Oh my gosh. You know, that kind of thing. Instead of living for others. And so we have to be careful of this, not to bring that into our homes and have it impact our relationships. Because it says next that, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. So it fraternizing with the enemy negatively influences the family, especially when it's the man, the leader in the home. And it separates and segments the family. And so it brings not only himself, but his family into captivity, spiritual captivity. 
John 8, 34 says, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Captivity. When we must obey the drives of our body and our own selfish living, then we are slaves to that thing. And God wants us to be free. And the Bible says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Romans 6, 6 says, Our old man was crucified with him, that is Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And so since Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and our sins were nailed to the cross with him, praise Jesus, we are now free from sin. We don't have to live a lifestyle anymore in bondage to sin and when we do it's like a beautiful ring in a pig's snout right it doesn't it doesn't fit it doesn't belong and so let's let um, our calling and our family heritage who we are in Christ mesh with our living by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives Amen? Amen. Verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. You see, fraternizing with the enemy brings more damage and sorrow than imagined for a heart that is truly God's. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. But it's horrible and it's devastating. And so we see David and his men realizing this as they weep until they have no more power to weep. Psalms 32.10 says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. 1 Timothy 6.10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Sorrows. We think of the rich young ruler. Jesus said, go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And he couldn't do it, and he walked away what? Sad sorrows and that's what happens when we give ourselves over to the flesh and we're in bondage to it and enslaved to it it doesn't bring joy like we think it will like the devil says it will instead it brings sorrow sorrow proverbs 14:12 says there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death of death. Now look at Proverbs 16:25. It says, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death." Oh, that's the same verse. Yeah, God repeats himself here. <laughs> so we best be listening. There's a way that seems right to us. We think we got this. We think this is the answer, the solution. Man, if I just, you know, go out with this other person 
They'll bring me happiness. It'll be better. If I just click, 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 it'll be better. And it's not. It brings death. It brings destruction. It makes things worse in the end. And then, and so we see David weeping and his men weeping until they can weep no more. Verse 5, it says, And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his son's and his daughters. And so did you know that, that people groups have a soul? They, they have a soul. People groups have, you know, when, when America is suffering, we're all suffering together, right? When there's a big uh, hurricane in Florida and we're watching the news and people's homes are getting ripped out from under them and all that, oh man, America, we all grieve together. Our, the soul of America grieves, right? And, and so here's this group of men, and collectively, they are grieving because of their sons and daughters being taken, and they're looking for someone to blame. Who always gets blamed when things go bad? It's the leader. <laughs> the leader does. And so David's being blamed, and they want to kill him. When you fraternize with the enemy, it will ultimately bring you distress and it will bring grief to yourself and to those around you. David's not exempt from the consequences of his own actions. But, here's the cool line for us, verse 6. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So as bad as things were, his town burned, his kids gone, and his men want to stone him, and everybody's weeping until they have no power to weep anymore. The beauty of King David's heart is that when all seems lost and it's all his fault, instead of despairing in self-condemnation, he encourages himself in the Lord. He comes back to God and he leans on God's grace and he says, like the psalmist in, in Psalms 42, 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And so when our world comes crashing in because of sin, or simply as a consequence of living in a fallen world, perhaps God's putting us through the test like he did to Job, and there's no sin at all in connection with what we're going through. Whatever the case may be, what would God have us to do? If there is sin, he'd have us to confess that sin. He'd have us to repent from it and to say, I'm no longer going to go down that path anymore. To remember, remember the good things that God has done and the grace that he has shown you in the past and others. And command your soul to hope in God and praise him. Amen? Amen. And then we're encouraged in the Lord and it brings faith. Faith. 
trusting in him. All right, verse 7 now. Verse 7, it says, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. It's the first time in a year and a half that we hear of David actually wanting to acknowledge the Lord. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And everybody's waiting with bated breath. What are we going to do? How does God want us to respond to this terrible tragedy? And what will be the outcome? And then it says, middle of verse 8, And he answered him, that's God answered David, Pursue. For you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Woo! Man, when God says that, that's good news. But notice that David has a part in this. His part is to pursue. He's got to get geared up, grab his men, and go in heavy pursuit of the enemy. It's going to be tiring and taxing. And then when you finally catch up with them, you're going to have to fight against them. But he is trusting that God will give him the victory, that God will give him the strength and sustain him. And so he and his men pursue. So the burning of Ziklag and the abduction of his family turns David's heart away from the flesh. No longer is he in this place where he's not acknowledging God and listening to lies in his head, but he's back with the Lord. And after encouraging himself in the Lord, he begins to acknowledge God once again. God, what do you want? What do you say? What should I do, Lord, instead of listening to his own self-talk? And God actually will use this for good in David's life. How does God do this in our lives and in his? I don't know. How does God take my bad decisions and actually turn it into something that's good for me? That's what God ends up doing here, friends. And Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths or make them straight, make them smooth. Seek first the kingdom of God, friends, and all of these things will be added to you. As we follow God, as we keep him first, have a robust devotional life. Keep on going to church and being around Christians. Praying to the Lord, spending time with Him, worshiping Him. Not just going to a performance, but coming to actually actively worship God. It's a heart thing. You know, you can be singing loud, lifting your hands like crazy and looking like the most spiritual person but if it's not happening in here and directed towards God, it's just a show. And so God says, man, do it from the heart. And it's all going to work out. The Lord's going to allow things to work out. And so God says, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Friends, you cannot fail when you're doing God's will. You cannot fail. Because it's all going to work out in the end. I love it. There's a song that really ministered to me when we were in Colorado. And maybe you've heard it on Christian, Christian radio. But 
It talks about being bulletproof. I am bulletproof. I'm all, yes. I'm bulletproof because even if I do get shot, I go to heaven. I'm bulletproof. But if it's not God's will for me to be shot, that bullet's going to go around me. Do you remember that testimony of that guy at Desert Storm, 1991? They're storming Iraq and Baghdad. He got hit in the helmet. The hole was on this side of his helmet and on this side of his helmet. They studied his helmet and they found that somehow the bullet went through his helmet and was twisted up, went up around his head and out the other side. God don't want you dead, you're not going to die. But if it's your time, you'll get shot in the foot and it'll go up your leg and hit your heart. It's your time, you know? So we just rest in the Lord. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.